Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, April 12th, and we're talking about a unicorn that is actually profitable. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Brian Feroldi on Skype. Brian, what's up? Dylan, awesome to be back and talking about another new IPO. We've been pretty spoiled so far in 2019. I think it's only going to continue. You know, we talked about Pinterest a little ways back. We're talking about Zoom, another upcoming tech IPO. And that's just the beginning. 2019 is going to be very good for us. The Uber Prospectus just came out. Yeah, I was just reading through the Uber Prospectus right before the show. So, tons to talk about. That'll be a future episode, Brian. Let's talk Zoom today. This is one that fools know very well. We use Zoom here at HQ. A lot of folks, though, probably haven't heard the name before. Yeah, so Zoom is a leader in the uh, video communication. So anybody that is familiar with just video chatting, uh, uh, Zoom is a competitor in that space. And I I, got to be honest, when I first heard about Zoom, I I, I didn't even give it a second thought because I thought that the video market was already incredibly saturated. So I didn't understand how any company could create an edge in this market. Uh, But the more I dug into the details behind Zoom, uh, the more I realized that I do think they actually have an edge here. Yeah, I think we kind of arrived at this company very differently. You heard about what they did and then started digging into the financials and were skeptical, then interested. I had seen firsthand the way the product works and was immediately interested and was crossing my fingers that the financials also looked good. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about how they make their money? Because while we're talking video chatting and, and, and there's an element there of, of hardware with making sure that all this happens, this is a SaaS company and this is a business that really follows a lot of the core SaaS metrics investors are familiar with. Yeah, totally. So Zoom uh, is, uh, in many ways, a leader in the uh, in the uh, software as a service video market. So this was a company that was founded about uh, seven or eight years ago by a, a former executive at Cisco that was in charge of their video offering, and he found that what Cisco was offering at the time just wasn't up to the par that with what consumers needed. It and I, I can tell you, the company I worked at before I worked at the Fool, uh, we did all of our communications over the phone simply because, like, we knew that video. Communication Communications was a thing, but we didn't have an option for that was good enough for us to all use at the same time. So Zoom is trying to kind of fill that niche of what what enterprise need and trying to make the software so easy to use and so reliable that companies actually use it. The thing that they come back to over and over again in their prospectus and when they are trying to talk about how they are different than the other players out there is the fact that they're a little bit newer to the game, and because of that they started out on the cloud. They didn't have to take a whole bunch of old tech and then figure out how to make it happen on the cloud. I think that's huge for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, just build it. The cloud is it's such a game changer, uh, a technology, and Zoom was developed with the cloud in mind. Cloud, cloud is their native uh, hub. A lot of other communication platforms that you see, such as Skype uh, and others, they kind of added video after, after the fact. They weren't a video first. Zoom is purely a video first company. If anyone, uh, after hearing all this, kind of wants to kick the tires and get a sense of what this company looks like, as is the case with a lot of SaaS companies, you can try it for free. They have a nice free tier. Uh, There's some limited functionality around meeting length, but it gives you unlimited one-on-one meetings, uh, ability to add quite a a few participants. And then, as you might expect, uh, once you start getting into the paid tiers, you have your pro, your small business, and then ultimately the enterprise tiers. Uh, They break out their their business a couple different ways. One of the main ways you'll see, though, is meeting hosts. Uh, and they run $15 to $20 per month. You can think of that as kind of a host or per head, kind of a license type thing. Uh, they also have Zoom rooms, which, you know, if you're looking at the enterprise market, is, uh, is, is kind of a no-brainer for them. 
Yeah, Zoom rooms are when you kind of set up a conference room in an office and you dedicate it to kind of using Zoom. And Dylan, we actually held a Zoom room conference uh, before our mug meeting today because I wanted to see how it worked. Yeah, and I got to say, uh, pretty seamless, right? Yeah, it was totally it was totally easy. You just email, you just uh, sent me a, a website address and a meeting number. Went to the website, typed in the meeting number. Boom, we were video chatting. There's a deep irony here in that we're doing this over Skype and talking about Zoom, but but I think that this product has really changed the way that a lot of people are looking at video communications. You know, I am always kind of remarking at how crystal crystal clear uh, all the resolution is and how clear the communication is. Um, that's a little different than what I've experienced so far using some of the other competitors' products. Yeah, and I totally agree. And again, I was initially very skeptical about this company's ability to compete in this market because I knew just how crowded it was. However, the more that I dug into the S1 and the more I looked at the numbers, the more I think that there is an argument to me that there is something special about this company. Yeah, the numbers swayed you, Brian. And let's let's give a quick year by year here. We have revenue of 61 million, 152 million, and just over 330 million for the past three fiscal years. That's pretty incredible growth. Yeah, that's 149% growth and then 118% growth. So more than a doubling two years in a row. And $330 million is a pretty sizable number. And for, to put some additional context around that, uh, of that $330 million, 82% of that is based in the U.S. and 18% is international. So this is very much a U.S. story at this point. But there's clearly substantial room for growth both uh, in the international markets. And the shocker of all shockers is the fact that they are profitable, right? So we see these gaudy growth rates, and we know that this is a company worth over a billion dollars, and yet uh, they actually posted some profits, not just operating profits, real true profits for their most recent fiscal year. Uh, That's also got people pretty excited. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, we've talked about unicorns before that are just burning through cash left and right. And this isn't a new thing either. They actually were break even about three years ago on sixty million in revenue. And as they've doubled, their 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 expenses in there uh, have have kind of grown in lockstep with that. But they are still have generated cash each and every year. So they had a five percent uh, gap operating margin last quarter on a non gap gap basis, which strips out um, stock based compensation. That was nine percent and their free cash positive. So, very, very respectable. A lot of the headlines that you see with this company are going to focus on top-line growth and the fact that they are a profitable unicorn. I think two things that really stand out to me is the fact that they have that 82% gross margin, which is up from the past couple years. That's an incredible number. And the balance sheet is rock solid. Yeah, $176 million in cash before they IPO and no debt. And like you said, Dylan, their, their gross margin is already incredibly high, 82%. And that was 78% a few years ago. So not only is the business top line growing incredibly fast, but their margins are, their margins are starting to scale. And that is a super potent combination. Right. I think so many of the IPOs we're seeing in 2019, uh, the growth is there. The interest is there. And a lot of them are consumer-facing. Maybe that's part of the reason why. But there's this feeling of like, okay, we kind of need to figure out how to turn this into a viable business. And shareholders, you know, the average investor, people that are just getting in now because the shares are publicly listing, are going to have to pay a ticket to watch and make that happen if they want to be a part of that growth. Not so much the story here. 
Yeah, for sure. And just to quickly um, talk about their margins a little bit more, uh, their data center st their data center strategy is they actually own uh, co-locate in 13 data centers. So they are running their operations themselves. And then on top of that, they're outsourcing some of their, their data work to um, both um, Amazon Web Services and Microsoft. So they're taking a different approach than, say, Pinterest, which we talked about a few weeks ago, which is purely running its business on Amazon Web Service. So that's an important distinction with this company. And you see that play out in the margin number. Um, one of the big things that that I think a lot of people are going to wonder with this business is, okay, they were disruptive, they came in, they were cloud first. There's a lot of legacy players here that have a lot of entrenched interest in making sure that they're in the enterprise market for communications. What's the moat here, Brian? Yeah, that is a fantastic question, and that is the number one thing that I think that investors need to think about when they're talking about this business. Um, coming up with the idea of what this moat is is a little bit hard to conceptualize, but there are some numbers that show me that they do have a moat. Uh, first and foremost, uh, with any SaaS company, one of the key metrics is net dollar expansion rate, which is how much money they're earning from their same existing customers from one year to the next. If this number is over 100%, not only are they keeping their existing customers, though existing customers are spending more. For Zoom, over the past 12 months, this number was 140%. That's about as good as it gets in the SaaS space. Yeah, we look at a lot of companies in the software as a service space, and this is one of the best numbers I've ever seen. I mean, for the most part, you're seeing uh, expansion rates somewhere between 105 and 120 percent. Uh, 140 is like Twilio territory in terms of being able to build your relationship with your customers, roll out more products that they're clearly interested in, and strengthen the bond that you have and the role that you have in their business. Yeah, completely. And and Zoom gets there really by a couple of ways. I, I I think first their their software just just completely works and it is usable across basically any device, any operating system, any third party application that you can think of. And they they work on Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, Linux, etc. But they also have direct inter integrations with a number of of big name companies. So Atlassian, Dropbox, Google, LinkedIn, Microsoft, Salesforce, all of them kind of have the the, the Zoom kind of like built right into them. So there is a connection in between there that does provide them, I think, with a little bit of switching costs that is, it is helping to produce that incredible net dollar expansion rate number. Yeah, I don't think they benefit from a moat in the way that um, a traditional network effect might apply. I think they benefit in the sense that once you get in there as a SaaS provider and you provide people with good service, it tends to be sticky. The switching costs are high. I'm not as convinced that uh, you know you using means that I'm going to use, although they talk quite a bit about how they have this kind of viral marketing strategy. And like a lot of SaaS companies, they use free users to become advocates, and then hopefully that leads to paid users and enterprise contracts for them. Yeah, and that strategy is is working out brilliantly. Uh, people are coming, they are using the free the free software, and then, then they are choosing to become paying subscribers down the loan. That's that's how they land actually the majority of their clients, including including the Fortune 500. And to put some uh, put another number about how much their customers like them, this company promotes a net promoter score of over 70, and that's when you take your basically people that promote your brand and you subtract out people that from detract your brand. And this a number of 70 is just Unbelievable! That is that is a that is a product that is beloved as much as any other product I can think of. Another major thing working in Zoom's favor is the fact that there's some pretty good tailwinds behind this business. You know, you think about where we're going with work. 
it's increasingly remote, it's increasingly global, and this type of technology is exactly what a lot of businesses need, especially if you have a lot of different offices. I mean, I think about The Fool in particular. We have HQ here in Alexandria, but we also have another office over in Colorado. We have fools that are international. And uh, there really isn't that much lost by those people being remote when connecting is this easy. Yeah, video... When you have a video conversation with somebody, uh, Zoom believes that you build trust faster because a lot of communication that happens between humans is nonverbal. You like to see somebody's face, how they react, and those kind of things don't always translate over a phone call. But when you can make a video call, that kind of language that becomes much, much easier and it's, it's faster to build trust. So because of that, Zoom likes to say that the payback that companies get for adopting their, their, their software is extremely fast. There's a huge ROI that this company claims when somebody signs on. And to put, to put some numbers about the uh, numbers around the potential of the business, um, Zoom believes that the market size for video communications is a forty-three billion dollar market next year, and and they think that they're 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 going to be expanding that market number because their product in particular is so easy to use. So again, forty-three billion compared to last year's revenue of three hundred million, there's a lot of potential up, upside here. Brian, you mentioned the net promoter score and just the view that people have of this business. I think that's uh, just a small part of the story when we're talking about Zoom, though. One of the things that really drew me in, too, was the fact that leadership is very well regarded, and it seems like a truly wonderful place to work. This is a spot that gets glowing reviews from a lot of the employment review outlets out there. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we always like to do when we're checking in on any company is check them out on Glassdoor. Do people like working there? What's the CEO like? Is the CEO the founder? Uh, what, what kind of approval rating do these get them? So the CEO in this case is the founder. His name is Eric Wan, and he actually is the number one ranked CEO of a large company in America. So number one, he is literally a beloved CEO, and he owns 22% of Zoom stock personally before the IPO, and the, the company just gets glowing, glowing reviews from employees. So this is clearly a great place to work, a beloved CEO, and a very good corporate culture. All right, Brian, we have been um, pretty complimentary so far of Zoom. I, I want to take a critical eye to some of the things that we like to run stocks through, especially as they're going public, just to kind of get a sense of what risks might be out there. Um, looking at the valuation, this is a company that will probably be going public somewhere around $8 billion because they're going to be pricing at the high end of that $28 to $32 range that they've been shopping around. Um, so, no, it is not a penny stock. That's one of the things that we often check. No, we're good there. Um, and one of the other things I think that we really need to keep in mind when we're looking at as-a-service businesses is what does customer concentration look like? What's the story there? Yeah, so this company has over 50,000 customers, and no individual comp customer represents more than 5% of revenue. So I don't think there's any reason to worry about excessive con customer concentration. And another thing that I always like to look at when I'm thinking about any business is, are there, is this industry that it's in face long-term headwinds? Well, in this case, I think that there's a clear argument to make to be made that this company has tailwinds behind it, especially with millennials out there choosing to try and work remotely. I think that big push will just put a fuel under the fire for the demand for video conferencing software. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, this seems like it's where the market's going. It seems like broadly where business is going. I think because of that, because of all these great financial numbers that we've talked about, and because there's a lot pushing this business forward, there's so much enthusiasm around it, one of the risks here is 
there's a pretty hefty valuation that this company is going to have to live up to as it goes public. You know, if you kind of do the back of the uh, envelope numbers here, you know, if they're at eight billion and they did about three hundred and thirty million in revenue, that puts them at about twenty-five times trailing sales. That's pretty rich. Yeah, and that's at the IPO price, right? That's assumed that you can get shares uh, at what they're actually worth, and the stock isn't going to pop hugely on the first day like we've seen with so many other IPOs. So there, my, my, there's no doubt that to get in on this growth story, you're going to have to pay an insane multiple uh, on day one if you do so. So the question is, is this business high quality enough, and is the growth potential strong enough to justify the valuation? Uh, from what I've seen thus far, I think this business is so fantastic that there is an argument to be made that it should be very high on investors' watch list, even if they have to pay some insane multiple right out of the gate to get on board. But there's no doubt that the valuation is going to make this stock very risky. And because of that, you know, with the quarter quarter results that they put up as a publicly traded company, if anything misses, if they wind up issuing guidance that is not so rosy, it's going to take a hit. You know, anything that is valued at 25 times sales is going <laughs> to it's going to wind up having quite a bit of criticism heaped on it uh, if the results aren't there. Yeah, completely. And the other thing for investors to uh, to keep an eye on is what is the competition going to look like in this space? Uh, so far, the numbers clearly show that Zoom is a leader in its category, and Zoom is taking market share left and right from people because of its offering. Is there, is there another company out there that could catch up, that could develop the same level of service, that could create a product from the cloud and do it from the ground up? And then will they be able to compete successfully uh, with Zoom? That's another kind of unknown that could risk their, their growth rates decelerating. And if that happened, look out below. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually something that one of our listeners, uh, I believe Wei, asked us on Twitter. I'd put out that we were going to be talking about Zoom on the show and just wanted to see what people were curious about. One of the very common questions, we got it from several different people, was can we highlight the competitors and what does the moat look like? We touched on this a little bit before, but I do want to read from the S1 here for a second just to give you a sense of who they view as their competitors. Uh, they said, we primarily face competition from legacy web-based meeting service providers, including WebEx and Skype for Business. Then you have the bundled productivity solution providers with basic video functionality, including Google, and point solution providers, including LogMeIn. Uh, so, so t a lot of the names you might expect, you know, Google Hangouts, uh, you have Skype in there as well. I would also throw Slack in there. Uh, I would say, you know, this is a communications business. They are rolling some video into their functionality. That's a thing to watch. Um, what's nice so far is they have pretty good partnerships and integrations set up with some of the main players. Um, while Skype is a competitor, they have integrations with Outlook. While Slack is a quasi-competitor, they have uh, some integrations there, I believe, as well. Uh, the problem is when you have all of these integrations, you are then somewhat reliant on these platforms for functionality. If that relationship ever sours, that's a risk to be aware of. Yeah, completely. Having all those partnerships in place is both a benefit and a potential long-term risk if they decide to become competitors. And one thing I will throw out there in, in, in the for the competitive question is it's important to note that uh, the CEO here was actually one of the very first employees at WebEx back in like the, 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 the late 1990s. And he stayed with that business all the way through until it was acquired by Cisco. And then he worked at Cisco for another five years before founding Zoom. And he founded Zoom because he saw that the the offerings that, that Cisco was offering were not what customers needed, and they were not using the products. And then he went on to convince 40 
4-0 of his fellow engineers to abandon ship and join him at Zoom. So there are competitors that need to be watched here, but the management team and the engineering team are all deeply, ta deeply talented and know this space extremely well. Yeah, I look at the legacy competitors, and I almost think that they are more in a position to buy Zoom at some point down the road. I think the bigger risk is someone coming out and saying, you know what, we're going to be cloud first too, and also uh, we're going to access this market and slowly eating away some of the share that they're enjoying right now as the first mover in that space. I'm doubtful because they've laid out such a good product and because I've used it and I know how strong it is, but something to be aware of. Um, Brian, another one of our followers, Seth, asked us, how well does the product actually work? I think we touched on that one. And then he said, is there any optionality with the business other than video calls? And this is a great question. Yeah, completely. When you think about optionality with growth stocks, it's the ability for them to add on new services or enter new markets down the road. And that's a little bit of a tricky thing to, to talk about in, in this case. I mean, in Zoom's case, they have rolled out Zoom meetings and they just rolled out a Zoom phone offering. So you can argue that there is optionality within the video communication space. Uh, but another way to think about it is the market for their, their core market offering is so enormous that optionality isn't necessarily something that they need right now. And, and the other thing I, I would point out is that great corporate cultures tend to be creative and tend to create new products. So one way to kind of bake in optionality, if you can't think of it now, is to buy into a corporate culture that, that, um, that praises people that think outside the box, that praises think people that can use their talents to create new products. And I think that there's an argument to me that Zoom has that, but I can't see anything myself that says, boy, this business has a ton of optionality in it right now. Yeah, I really sat on this question for a while and was trying to work through it. I kind of got to a very similar point that you did, where I think if you're looking outside of video communications, I don't see the next immediate vertical for them. Uh, so in terms of optionality in that sense, I'm, I'm not quite there. But if you look within video communications, a lot of that conversation right now is focused on traditional enterprise. You're talking about business to business or uh, people working within a business, right, and, and communicating across offices or something like that. Uh, where I do think they have some optionality is in the application of the video communications. So they've already started doing some things in education and in healthcare. I could see them doing something in entertainment as well. This is another space where I think the tailwinds are there, and if their tech is that good, uh, they will find pretty good ways to apply it. Yeah, I completely agree. So, Brian, big picture, your outlook for this business, it's, I think it's going to be going public uh, at some point in mid-April. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm extremely interested in it. I mean, I, I, the, the numbers that jump off at this page of me are just... Fantastic. They, it, it is very rare that you see a company that has been profitable at their early stage, that has such a great corporate culture, that is throwing up amazing margins that are expanding. Uh, there is a lot to like about this business. So uh, I plan on following this company very closely right out of the gate. And I may even purchase shares at some point, even though I know that I'm going to have to pay some insane multiple right on in the early days to get my hands on it. How about you? Uh, kind of in the same boat. I think this one immediately went to the top of my watch list once I started really digging in, getting sense of what the numbers looked like. Um, I will, if I ever wind up buying shares, be doing it in small increments over time, really, because I think that with any IPO, 
uh, in the first six months, you need to be super mindful of the fact that they're going to be putting out results that haven't been nicely manicured and put together. You know, they're choosing when they go public. People always have to remember that. Um, so you're going to be seeing maybe some lumpiness in the results. Um, you want to see how management handles being publicly traded. Uh, and also, you want to make sure that when insiders have the chance to sell their shares, uh, you aren't being stuck with a massive selling spree that really hits your shares. And so you don't want your position to tied to any one spot in time. Something to keep in mind, especially with a stock like this. Yeah, totally. I mean, when companies come public, things change. The culture, the culture can change. Management now has a number that they have to hit. They have to let their records out to everybody. Competitors have a bigger eye on them. So there, there are a number of things that change. But to me, the the, the thing I always start with is: is this company? so high quality that it is worth following and it could be worth betting on. Uh, from what I've seen, I think the answer is yes. Well, we're in agreement there, Brian. Uh, thanks for hopping on today's show. Anything fun going on this weekend? Hey, I'm heading down to D.C. this weekend. I'm, uh, it's my kids' vacation next week, so we will be at HQ next week. Yes, you will be. And we'll be doing some shows while you're in town. Excited to see you. Excited to see uh, the kids as well. Our producer, Austin Morgan, what are you up to this weekend? This weekend is the first of the meat smokes for me. I got my pellet smoker in the mail yesterday. I put it together. So this weekend, we're going to try to make a brisket. Listeners may remember that when we did our year wrap-up and we were talking about some resolutions for 2019, Austin has set his sights on doing something, developing a hobby that was not physically taxing. So I'm very, very eager to see and maybe even taste uh, the results of your new interest. This is one that I can do while recovering from my rotator cuff surgery. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the key. Um, will you post some of your results on Twitter? Maybe we can retweet yeah, that from the Motley Fool Industry sure. Focus account. We'll see, we'll see how it comes out. If they go well. If it goes well. Although the pictures might be better if it doesn't go well. That's true. <laughs> well, <laughs> we follow in my, my man Malcolm Reed from How to Barbecue Right. So that guy looks like he knows what he's doing. So I'm going to, I trust him. Hey, you got to start somewhere, right? All right. Well, Brian, thanks for hopping on today's show. Austin, excited to see what happens with the barbecuing. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out videos from the podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Brian Feroldi, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. <laughs>